Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, can you believe it's November? This is the first Tuesday of the month, and that means I've got a guest interview for you today. This is a fun interview with a new friend of mine, Carrie Givens. Now, fun fact for you long-term listeners, last spring, I had a friend of mine, Melissa Lewis, on the podcast. Carrie is a mutual friend that I met at her wedding. Isn't that so fun? Carrie and Melissa have been friends for a long time. It is a small world after all, isn't it? (laughs) Carrie works in ministry, but she's also an author in her own right of two books, Her most recent book, Rose Fire, recently came out, and I really enjoyed listening to it on Audible. Not only that, she, along with a couple of friends, has started her own publishing house, Bandersnatch Books, and it was really fun to get to talk to her about all things writing, business, and also, of course, you know me, we dipped into the Enneagram as well. Also, at the end of the podcast, we talked just a little bit about pets. This is a fun interview, and I hope you stick around for the whole thing. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Carrie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Yes, I am Carrie Givens. I write as Carolyn Claire Givens. Um, I am a writer and a publisher Uh, My friends and I launched Bandersnatch Books, which is a small press publishing company. We did that last year. And one of the first books that we put out was my novel, Rose Fire. And so that came out. We did a Kickstarter back in January, February of 2021. And we launched the book in July of 2021. And by day, I do church communications. And yeah. So you've got a lot going on. I got to tell you, it's really... I've got a, I've got a few yeah, things. Yeah, it's really fun to talk to you. Partly just because, well, we have mutual Thank friends, you. but are also because... We do. I, we do. I've been in your basement. <laughs> the worst part of our house. You've seen it. There you go. Um, uh, but also because I just listened to your book on Audible. Like eight hours, I got to hear your voice. But I didn't get to see your face while I was listening oh, to it. Man. So you have this very calm, beautiful, eloquent voice, almost like you should have been British, I feel like, in listening to you on that book. <gasps> I wish I was British. It would be fun. Yeah. Um, so, But I'm not very good at accents, so I shouldn't pretend to be British. <laughs> Me too. That wouldn't go well. <laughs> Me too. Um, can you share a little bit with us about how you came up with the idea for Rose Fire, which is a young adult fantasy? Is that... Or is it, does it have a young Yeah, category? I would call it young adult fantasy. Okay. It's not high fantasy. Um, it's definitely more of a character-based story than a world-building yeah. kind of story. Um, but it's definitely falls in the fantasy genre. And young adult is probably the best category of it for it since the characters are young adults. Um, but I've talked to people as old as, you know, 85 who have loved yeah. it and <laughs> as young as, t- as eight to 10. So it really depends on the person in terms of uh, where they hit the, the uh, YA is more a category than a, than a genre, right. but yeah. uh, where they hit that category. Um, so yeah, 
I actually began writing Rose Fire in 2008. So it has been a long time in process. Um, And it started for me with a um, couplet of poetry from T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets. And in Four Quartets, there's this, it's just two lines out of it. It says, ash on an old man's sleeve is all the ash the burnt roses leave. And I had this picture in my head of an old monk shaking the ash off of his sleeve and the roses having completely been consumed and turned in, turned into ash. And that was this picture. And I was like, Ooh, who's that monk? What's the story he's living in? <laughs> and so actually that image winds up in the book in my head. Initially it was going to be a different character than it wound up being. Um, <laughs> but uh, just the way the story played out, it worked, worked out well. But that was sort of the beginning of it. And very quickly thereafter, I wound up with my core cast of characters um, that I had. Karen, who is my narrator, and Anya, who is a waif who shows up with no memory of her past on Karen's doorstep. And then Karen's brother, Richard. Um, And then this monk, Brother Ezra. And I had kind of those four characters. And so I began exploring pretty slowly because I was actually in grad school at the time. And so I was working on other projects and I actually paused for an entire semester to write my thesis and things like that. But what I would do throughout that period of the beginning time was just let those characters stew in my mind. And every once in a while, I'd write a scene um, and figure out what they were doing in the scene. And over the course of probably a year of almost brainstorming, I got to a point where I was like, okay, this, this really is a story. It's, and it's hefty enough, like complex enough of a story that it could probably be a novel. Um, And so then I began writing it really in earnest, probably in late 2009, early 2010. And worked, I mean, when I say in earnest, I work very slowly, I write very slowly. And um, so I was working on it for a couple of years. And then in 2012, I actually did not write a word for six months. Um, I had a season of life that had some losses and some tragedy, and it was just a hard, hard season. And I was not, the creative <laughs> creative juices were not there. Yeah. Um, I just didn't have the energy for that. Um, but coming out of that season, one of the things that brought me out was two friends um, who really wanted to hear the end of the story. And so- <laughs> I began working on it again and kind of dove in and finished off the first draft of the manuscript by 2013. Okay. So it's been sitting mostly since 2013 and it came out in 2021. So can you explain yeah, to me yeah. so not ent- how you came mm-hmm. about with yeah, that process books? Yeah. Right. Because you published it yeah. yourself, but not so really. It, but I would say. Of. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I I would say sitting, I, I probably got it to the form that it's in now by about 2018. So did editing, you know, between 2013 and 2018. I, I was still submitting it in places during that period. But 
the publishing industry is an interesting beast. Um, and there's a lot of really good things that are written and not a lot of places for them to be published. And especially at that period, um, 2008, the, you know, the global recession that occurred, the publishing industry basically imploded in 2009. And so between the fall of 2008 and the fall of 2009, America went from having hundreds of small press publishers that did all sorts of little niche, you know, imprints and things like that, to having really about five major publishers. Um, And the they bought up quite a few of the small presses. Um, the big, you know, the big names bought up quite a few of the small presses, but everything just shrunk down to being controlled by a very small group of companies. And there were still, I mean, it, there there were small presses that still continued to produce throughout the thing, um, that period, but it really didn't open back up again until five years later. And then what seemed to start happening was new small presses were being formed by people who had worked in the publishing industry before. And so you wound up with these tiny small presses that were just starting up with significant weight (laughs) on their, on their staff of the credentials of the people that were, that were running them and starting them. But the other thing that, grew in this period was the ebook boom and digital um, digital books and publishers tried to figure out what they were doing with those. I mean, there, there was a period of time in that 2008, 2009, where everybody was like, well, print books have gone by the wayside. No one's ever going to read a print book again, but that eventually settled out. And now most publishers find that maybe 15% of their sales are in ebooks and the rest are still print. Um, and of course, now you have the audiobook world as well. But um, so 2016, you wind up and then you have self-publishing right. is the other thing that suddenly because of Amazon, because of Ingram Spark, it's not that hard to get your book available right. to other people, yes. either as an ebook or even as a print on demand print book. Girl, you just educated me. I did not it, know all that. That's really <laughs> interesting. It yeah. makes sense to me, knowing yeah, the things I know, a, but I did not know. All right. That. Right. It's been a fascinating thing to watch over the years um, because I was actually, as I was in grad school, I was thinking about going into publishing and I was looking at like, oh, should I look for editor jobs and things like that? And there was nothing when I finished grad school available. Um and so I think watching that process, like I've learned over the years and sort of watched the the world kind of contract and then expand again. But the thing that I really began to see just in the last few years was the value of the small press working at a low overhead model. So not trying to give a big advance to an author because there is no extra budget to do that. Um, extra capital rather to do that, but working at a low overhead model, but being able to give the marketing skills and the editorial skills and the, just the networking available that when you bring together people who have those skills with an author who has a good title, that author who has too small a platform to be 
noticed by a major publisher right. um has a better opportunity for their book to be more well-known than they would if they just published it through Amazon. Um, and so that kind of, you know, small category of press that can do that and that can do it either within a very particular genre or a particular kind of book. Um, and that was where Bandersnatch books came from that my two friends, Annie Beth Donahue and Rachel Donahue and I launched Vandersnatch. And our goal was really looking for those books that are off the beaten path, mm -hmm. the books that for some reason or another aren't going to get picked up by a major publisher. So for Rosefire, for example, one of the things I heard as I submitted, and I would submit to agents or I would submit to editors at publishers or at writing conferences one of the things I heard over and over again was, oh, this is really good, but I don't know how I'd sell it. And the reason for that was it didn't fit nicely into either the Christian <laughs> um, market or the general market. So it is it is too Christian for the general market. Right. <laughs> um, there is a creator God. In the world. Yeah, which I want to talk <laughs> and, to you about that part. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's too Christian for the general market, but there's magic in the world. So the Christian market doesn't want to sell it. And um, and so you have this, this tension that there's not a place on the shelf in traditional publishing for a book like Rosefire. And we found that as we've talked to other authors and began to you know get contracts for, for other books that we'll be publishing through Bandersnatch Books is... I mean, one author that we're putting out his book next year, for example, is I would say his book, you know, the the actual manuscript you're working with itself, I think a general market publisher would be totally interested in publishing. It's a it's a middle grade fantasy novel. It's lots of adventure, you know, set in northern Michigan and and fairy tale characters come to life out of a book and it's just fantastic. Um but the author is a missionary in Ghana. And so you're in this sort of, well, he can't do a lot of the things that an author would be expected to do um, if he were publishing with Penguin Random House, you know? <laughs> and so um, we're looking for those authors that for some reason or another, you know, wouldn't fit into the big houses and um, trying to get their stuff out. All the Catch-22 books, huh? That are stuck in the middle. Mm -hmm. I exactly. really love that. I exactly. love that. Well, let's yeah. talk about faith for a second because your book has yeah. like an aroma of faith, but it's not outright. And so mm. it's kind of like mm -hmm. hidden, almost like an allegory. And I knew you enough to know that you're a Christian, you know, but if I hadn't, I still would have maybe guessed right. that you were, even though it's not right. like the main theme kind of. So how did mm -hmm. faith influence the writing of your book? Like, how does it work in? Yeah, yeah. Well, going back to Four Quartets, um, Four Quartets probably is one of the biggest influences on Rosefire um, in terms of other literature that I read that, that poured into it. And I think Four Quartets has that same sort of uh, aroma in that it's not a Christian poem um, or a set of poems. It's four poems. Um, 
it's not a Christian poem, and yet there is a worldview within it right. and a, a faith, you know, perspective in it. And so I think that is one piece, you know, that bled into that and just sort of the tone. But then I think the other piece is just my life. Like I have grown up in, you know, in a Christian home and my faith became my own at quite a young age. And um, it was never dramatic. It was never, you know, I I didn't have a great conversion story. Um, And yet it's been a quietly steady part of my life forever. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I look around at the world around me and I see that it is, you know, shot through with meaning um, and that it is created by a creator God, that it is beautiful and that that beauty points to him. Um, and I also see that I live in a culture that doesn't recognize that. Right. And so navigating that, you know, how, I think a lot of, you know, art, a lot of TV shows, movies, et cetera, don't know how to present faith as a normal thing. Um, it's always, you know, some dramatic thing or satirical or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so to have just learning and growing in believing in something, um, I think that was part of what what I was hoping to do in writing Rosefire was just, you know, here's it's it's a a kingdom that the setting is a kingdom that has lost its mm. faith. It it had a faith, but the nobles have put that aside. And they they think that's just the beliefs of the monks and the peasants. And so for this young group of people to begin to rediscover that ancient faith and to, you know, to ask for the ancient paths. Um, But then for them to take it in to themselves and begin to walk in it and, and live in what they believe is true. Um, I think that was kind of just wanting to present that as that's, that's not a crazy thing. That's not an abnormal thing. And it fits Um, perfectly into the story because there's some, major salvation themes mixed in, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm about to take this conversation in a completely different direction. Are you ready? You're not prepared, but I think you're going to love take it. Take it away. Okay. So I love it. You clearly have some leadership skills because most people would not think to themselves, you know, I think I could start a publishing company, but <laughs> um, today I'm looking on your Instagram and I see that you have written or helped to write certain passages of an Enneagram eight devotional. And I think that's so fascinating because speaking of leadership, Enneagram eights, the challengers, you guys are equipped for all things leadership. So what a fun thing. That's really exciting. I didn't like know ahead of time to prepare you for the interview, but what was it like to help contribute to that? Mm Mm-hmm. It was so fun and it was really cool. So yeah, the devotional is called The Challenger. Um, It's a 60-day Enneagram devotional by Elizabeth Bennett. Um, And I met Elizabeth through mutual connections. So her sister-in-law is a friend of mine and 
is a very close friend of my old roommate. And so my old roommate, who's my best friend, and Allison, the sister-in-law, um, have actually been part of Elizabeth writing these nine devotionals. They've been working with her on them since she did the first set. So she did she she was contracted to write all nine devotionals um, over the course of a year and a half. And she was like, that's a lot of work. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And so they put them out in sets of three. So the first three that she worked on were, I believe, two, four, and nine. And so she reached out to her sister-in-law and uh, Christine and Allison is a nine, Christine is a two, and Elizabeth is a four. And so as she was asking for the help, she realized that this actually was a really great, great way to bring in the voices of people who are living the experience <laughs> of each Enneagram number, as well as Elizabeth as the, you know, the expert, the coach um, perspective. And so as she got to the final set, prepping the final set, she asked the two of them if they knew any eights who could write. Um, and they pointed my direction. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I connected with Elizabeth and she kind of asked me my journey of learning about the Enneagram and um, invited me to write. So I contributed 15 devotionals to out of the 60 days. And she basically like she had the structure built out and she knew kind of what topic she wanted each day. And so I went in and picked the ones I wanted to, to write. Um, and I realized like there were sections that I was like, I'm just going to stay away from that section because I don't know that about myself. <laughs> I haven't dug in there yet. You know yet. what? That is good insight to know. <laughs> that is. Blind spots. We've all got um, them. But I think. Right. Right, exactly. Um, I think one of the sections that I I wrote a few in is is early on, and she's kind of talking about seeing the the traits of the Enneagram Eight in God's character, and that's definitely something that I resonated with because I think that's one of the things I find so interesting about the Enneagram is here you have nine different ways of imaging God. Mm -hmm. You know, we all, we all carry the image of God in our, in who we are. And here's nine different facets um, of him. And so, you know, the, I think one of the cool things about the Enneagram eight is you have this strength and this tenderness that go hand in hand. And I mean, you want to talk about characteristics of God, you know, he is strong and he is tender. Um, And so being able to kind of dig into that and find, you know, dig into some scriptural passages, passages that reflect that mm-hmm. about him. Yeah. I know you're not supposed yeah. to type your own children, but I'm pretty sure my oldest is an eight. And uh, one of the beautiful things yeah. <laughs> is that you guys are always for the underdog, which is that tenderness. Like you, mm-hmm. you see the weak people and you're there to champion them. And I think that's a really cool thing and definitely yeah. how God is for sure. Okay, I have some real talk questions for you. So if you are All right. if you're working pretty much full time at a church, how do you find time to run Bandersnatch and also be writing? Where do you fit all that in and how do you take care of yourself in the midst of all of it? Well, I'm an Enneagram 8, so I just don't stop. Um. <laughs> Lots of energy. I should have just put that in there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, but I, I think like that's definitely something I'm constantly navigating. Um, I have been 
diligent to create margins um, around my work life. Um, it's I've I've only basically only worked in Christian ministry. I worked at a Starbucks uh, during grad school, but other than that, I've basically only worked in Christian ministry as an adult. And um, it is very easy for a ministry job to become your entire life, um, especially. That. Yeah, especially I'm not married and I don't have kids. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm available to do the things, you know, and and so it's it's a very, very simple thing. And I have I have leaned that way in the past. And so as I came into I moved to North Carolina about seven years ago for this job at the church. And as I came into um, my work here, that was one of the things I'd, I had really burned out at a previous job. And so that was one of the things in the interview process that I talked with them about was, you know, what, what does margin look like? Can I leave work at work? You know, and things like that. My job has grown. My responsibilities have grown. And so I have more leadership now, seven years in. Um, and there have been seasons where work didn't stay at work, um, <laughs> but I continue to kind of, you know, that be my goal um, to just keep those margins around it. Mm -hmm. So that means then my evenings and my weekends are fairly wide open. Um, especially during a pandemic when there was nothing to do. Um, <laughs> so in terms of launching a, launching a publishing company, we did it when, you know, sure. We were stressed. We were, you know, stir crazy, like all of these things isolated, but at the same time we did have time on our hands. Um, yeah. <laughs> And so, um, so yeah, a lot, my, you know, in terms of my Bandersnatch work, like it fits in around the edges of my job. A lot of it is, you know, I work on something in the evening or I work on a Saturday, um, on Bandersnatch things. And, um, then my own writing is probably the thing that has suffered the most. I mean, I told you I'm a very slow writer. Part of the reason I'm a very slow writer is I'm not a very diligent writer and so trying to find times and places and rhythms for writing is just, that's always something that takes me time. And as we've gotten Bandersnatch off the ground, the ground, I haven't done a lot of writing myself. Um, I do have, a, I keep calling, I call it a WISP, you know, the, the acronym for whatever you're currently working on is work in progress, WIP. Um, so I refer to mine as a WISP, W-I-S-P. It's work in slow progress. Um, <laughs> I like that. And, and um, I actually, this weekend, I'm doing an online conference with the Bandersnatch friends. Um, it's the Rabbit Rooms Hutchmoot Home, yeah. Homebound Conference. And we're going to be doing that together here at my house. And one of my friends, Rachel, um, asked me, she's like, so will you have a chapter to read to us on, you know, the book you're working on? And I was like, I might be able to do that. Um, but simultaneously this week, I'm trying to read through a manuscript that we got submitted. We asked, we asked for a submission from, and it's really interesting. And so I want to keep reading it. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting trying to balance all the time. And then also just to find time to be. Um, I think uh, Madeline Engel has a book called Walking on Water, Reflections oh, on yeah. Faith and Art. And one of her early chapters, she talks about being. 
um, and the, the practice basically of being instead of doing. And what I have found over the years it is, is that it is only when I give myself time to be that I can write, I can be creative, I can, you know, really make movement in those arenas. And so that requires, you know, I think it was Labor Day weekend, some, no, some weekend recently. Um, I was like, you know what, there is Bandersnatch work to do. I'm not going to do it. You know, I just need to set it aside and be this weekend, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I read books and I watched a TV show and, um, you know, just rested. Um, and that's um, that's a just a practice that I that I try to make sure I'm doing regularly. I love that so much. Yeah. The being part is difficult for me, too. I'm an Enneagram, too. Like being mm-hmm. still doesn't come naturally for me. And even if mm-hmm. I am still, I'm thinking about other things I need to be doing. So I do tend yeah. to have a lot of energy that's directed outwards <laughs> and a lot right. of energy in my right. own brain, like of new ideas and things I want to do. But mm-hmm. I can burn myself out. That margin thing, yeah. I don't care what Enneagram number you are. That margin thing is really, really a big deal. And I would say, you know, I think there are some men who listen to this podcast, but I would say generally it's probably more women. And we Mm. especially have a very difficult time with balance. I don't know if that's a real Mm -hmm. thing. I don't think it is (laughs) Um, because it's Mm -hmm. always in flux, right? Like our lives change and how much we have on our plate is always changing too. But the practice of being is really, really important. I yeah. also love to yeah. ask all my guests on this podcast, mm-hmm. do you have a particular scripture passage that the Lord has been using in your life lately or just that you really love that you would want to share? Mm. Yeah. I'll talk about two because okay. why, why limit myself to one? Um, yeah. <laughs> we've you got a whole Bible to choose from. In- I know. Come on. Um, we've been, our pastors have been preaching through Daniel. Um, which I have been loving getting back into the book of Daniel. And we're just about to switch from the first half of the book, which is all the stories you learned in Sunday school to the second half of the book, which is the crazy prophecy side of it. Um, and I'm really excited <laughs> to be like, where are we going here? Cause yeah. it's, it's a ride. The, the back half of the book of Daniel is a trip. Um, so that's just been, it's been a long time since I studied Daniel or, or spent time in Daniel and to look at it again with fresh eyes and um, hear, you know, new people teaching on it. Um, so that's been, that's been really encouraging and fun. And um, I think Daniel's just a fascinating character of someone who was thrust into a leadership role and um, how he chose to rely on the Lord and rely on Yahweh in the midst of a society that was against him um, and against Yahweh. So that's one piece. Um, I also regularly return to Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes into the hills Mm -hmm. from where does comes my help. And that passage is I think it's one of the places where 
I admit, <laughs> you know, I recognize that God is God and I am not. Um, and that, you know, my strength is his strength, that he is my help. Um, he is the Azer. Um, the, what is it in the, the words after the cursor? Is it in, no, it's in, um, Genesis one and two, when, when God is creating Eve, he, says, you know, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And that word azer, uh, helper, is actually, other than then, it is only used of God in scripture. And Fascinating. Um, and so I think like we have a tendency, especially in American contemporary culture, especially coming out of the modern era, um, we have a tendency to think of that role as a small role. Um, and it is not, <laughs> nor is it only limited to family. Um, you know, uh, the, the role of woman in our entire society is a reflection of, of God's help. You know, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Like, so that, that picture of the helper, um, I think is such a, such a beautiful one. Oh, I love that. And I'm with you. Daniel's one of my favorites. I like the stories. You can just get lost in them. The prophecy mm-hmm. will have you pondering for days. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot. Yes. There's a lot in the book of Daniel. There's a in ton. 12, <laughs> 12 short chapters. <laughs> a lot. Right. Right. Um, well, Carrie, if people want to know more about you, more about Bandersnatch, mm-hmm. more about Rosefire, yeah. more about the Challenger book that's coming out, mm-hmm. where are the places yeah. that they can find you? Yeah, all the places. So we'll start with me. Um, My places are mostly, let me think, I think they're all either Carolyn C. Givens or Carolyn Claire Givens. So Twitter and Instagram are both Carolyn C. Givens. Um, My Facebook author page is Carolyn Claire Givens. Um, On my Instagram, you'll see a recent post uh, of the Challenger book. You can also just Google Elizabeth and it's Elizabeth Bennett, like from Pride and Prejudice, except with an S instead of a Z. Um, (laughs) And so you can just Google that and those books are available on Amazon. Um, And then for Bandersnatch, um, we have our website is bandersnatchbooks.com. And from the website, you can get to all of our social media, but we have a Facebook page for Bandersnatch Books. Instagram is Bandersnatch Books. Twitter is Bandersnatch BK because Twitter doesn't have enough characters in its handle for us to put our whole name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are um, limits. Instagram's probably, say. I know, Instagram's probably where we're mo- the most active uh, for Bandersnatch. But on our website, we also have a web store. And so our books are all available there. And um, we've currently got two out. We have my book, Rosefire, and a book, a poetry book called Beyond Chittering Cottage. Um, that is out. And then in November, we have a children's book, picture book coming out that's called Why Does Mommy Say No? Um, So if you have toddlers, you might need to make sure you get that in time for Christmas. Um, (laughs) And then either very end of this year or early in 2022, our fourth book, which is a middle grade mystery novel set uh, 
around a wheelchair basketball team here in the Charlotte area um, is coming out. That's called No Clues, You you Lose. Um, so yeah, you can read up on our site for what's coming and and all the timings of things. We've we've got a we've got a docket on the on the horizon. Yeah, so that's exciting. Okay, that's really cool. And listeners, if you couldn't keep track of all that, I will link to the, a lot of that in today's show notes and on my Instagram Thank page you. as well. So so you can catch it yeah. through all the places. Make sure you find Carrie and what she's places. doing. So what has been fun for me and you and not for our listeners is that your cat has joined us. And because this is yes, not a visual, has. it's a podcast. Nobody can see how cute she is. So what is her name? <laughs> her name is Harriet Vane. <laughs> who is a character in Dorothy Sayers' Lord Peter Whimsey novels. Her brother is Lord Peter Whimsey. Oh, he he's, here. he's around somewhere too, huh? Okay. <laughs> he is around somewhere, but he decided to stay out of the podcast. But Harriet is always like, what? You're, you're working at a desk? Let me come yeah. sit and join you. I mean, she's I been present. That her middle... mm-hmm. But she's been so yeah, well behaved yeah, and just like watching she... like she's been a part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little impressed at well, how well behaved she's been. We might need to do a treat because this <laughs> is shocking. So. Um, yeah, I, but I joke that her middle name is actually FOMO because she wants to be part of the action wherever it is happening. <laughs> I feel that. I'm with her on that. <laughs> uh, so, Harriet FOMO Vane. <laughs> well, Carrie, is there anything else you wanted to say on the podcast we didn't get a chance to talk about? I don't think so. I think just it's been a delight to talk to you, Ginny. And um, I you know, would just encourage you, you mentioned uh, Rose Fire is available on audio. So if you aren't a big reader, audiobooks are awesome. Um, yep. So yeah, that's Audible. how I did it. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was fun. Like I got to record that myself. I did it right here in this room, actually, just over over there. Um, and, uh, you know, got it, got a nice mic and good headphones and uh, put it all together and then handed it to an editor who actually knows what they're doing to <laughs> finalize it. <laughs> That'd be a lot to edit. It was long. <laughs> right. But she did it a great be. job. It, it was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we've got paperback and hardcovers available for it as well, which is fun. And they awesome. look really great. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been really fun. Thank you. It's been a delight to come. And your podcast is a lot of fun to listen to and hear about other people's journeys. So, yeah. Thanks again, Carrie, for being on today's podcast episode. It was so fun to get to talk to you. Friends, if you want to know more about Carrie and what she's up to, again, I will link to all of her stuff in today's show notes. You can also find Bandersnatch Books on Facebook or Instagram as well. And guys, you know you can always find me on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at PauseRenewNext. I would love to find you there. Also, I don't often give a call to action, but here's mine for this month. If you would like to join my newsletter, which, you know, for a long time I tried not to do, but it is the way to go because you know what? All the socials, the algorithms are funky, you guys. So if you want direct access to me and to know what is going on with Pause Renew Next and not to have to find me on the socials, then please sign up for my newsletter. You can do that by going to my website, pauserenewnext.com. At the bottom of the main screen is the sign up form. It's really simple. 
And heads up, make sure that doesn't go into the promo section of your email or you may never see it at all. So that newsletter will only come out every couple of months. And I want to make sure that I can keep you up to date with all the Pause Renew Next news and updates and hopefully an encouraging word. So if you don't mind, go sign up for that. Okay, I also want to tell you what you can look forward to this month. November has five weeks, not four. So you get a bonus episode and guess what it's going to be. It's a biography episode. So one of the weeks this month, you can look forward to a biography episode. And I am really excited about the person we're going to learn about together. Well, that is all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. The podcast. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. 